1982, in the NBA championship between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Philadelphia 76ers, the Lakers jumped out to a quick three to nothing, three games to nothing lead. And after the third game, uh, a uh, reporter was interviewing Dr. J, Julius Irvin. And the reporter asked him, are you willing to concede the series? Is there any way you can come back from this? And Dr. J's response was priceless. And you've probably heard this. You may not know where it came from, but his response was very simple. It's not over until it's over. You know, we, we've heard that phrase over and over again. It's become a part of our, our language. Um, you've, it's used to describe anytime there's a hopeless situation, anytime it seems like there's no way out, anytime it seems like defeat is imminent, for those who want to retain hope, if there's a glimmer of hope, if there is just even the smallest chance for victory, somebody's going to say it's not over until it's over. You know, the truth is, that's the message of Easter, right? I mean, it seemed as if there was no hope. It seemed as if sin had won. It seemed as if Satan had achieved a victory. But the message of Easter, it's not over until it's over. We can thank Dr. J for giving us <laughs> that, that phrase in our culture. As you've just seen... We know that regardless of how desperate life gets, there's, there's hope. Um, Sunday's coming. We have victory through Jesus Christ. We have victory through his resurrection. And because of that, we have hope. You know, when you look at Jesus' life from the very beginning, from his birth, he was on a collision course with death. And immediately after his birth, Herod orders In Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, all male children two years and under killed. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him to take his family to Egypt. So Jesus is spared, but a great massacre takes place because this evil man was trying to wipe out the next king of the Jews. And so right at the very beginning, Jesus is confronted with death. Throughout his life, the cross was always in front of him. I mean, he always knew that it was out there. It was never a question of whether or not that was going to take place. I mean, it was always in front of him. Don't ever think that Jesus, there was a time that Jesus didn't know that that's where he was headed because he knew that that's what he was supposed to do. The cross was in front of him. So throughout his life, he knew that he was on a collision course with death. He knew what his mission was, and and he accepted it, and he yielded to the will of the Father, even though it meant costing him his life in great agony, suffering. And then, of course, that day comes, the crucifixion, where Jesus is nailed to a tree, and he gives up his life. No one took it from him. He gave it. And if you had interviewed anybody in that story that day, Caiaphas, Pilate, maybe Judas, even the disciples, if you would have asked them how they felt about the situation with very different emotions, they would have all said, it's over. It's over. They, their actions 
after that. The disciples especially shows that they thought it was over. In Luke chapter 24, where we're going to be today, you see some of Jesus' followers on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about the events that had just happened. They're even arguing about some of the events that had just happened. And suddenly, even though he blinded their eyes to who he was, Jesus appears among them. And he asks them, as if he didn't know, what are you guys arguing about? My paraphrase. And they, their response is really telling. They say, you know, we really thought, and again I'm paraphrasing, we really thought that this was him, that th- this was he. He was the Messiah. And notice their hopes in the past. They thought, we thought this was him. They, they think it's over. The disciples are hiding in an upper room. And then suddenly Jesus makes himself known to them. And they realize who he is. And he explains everything from the scriptures. Explains to them why what had happened was what was supposed to happen. And that he had fulfilled it. And they realize who he is. And they say, weren't our hearts burning within us? Did we not know that this was him? But they, they were only able to think about what had happened, not what was possible in the future. To them, it was over. There was no hope. But what Jesus was saying is that it's not over until it's over, and it wasn't over for him because he was alive. And then we pick up. They go back to the disciples, these followers on the road to Emmaus. They go back to the disciples, and they tell them what happens. And we pick up in Luke chapter 24. Turn there with me if you haven't already. We're going to read verses 13 through 50 as we begin our study today. Verse 13, that same day two of them were on their way to the village called Emmaus. So in verse 13 all the way through verse 26, we see basically, or verse 35, we basically see the story I just paraphrased for you. These followers are on their way to Emmaus. Jesus appears to them. They don't see him at first. He, he explains, he, he, he asks them what they're talking about. They explain their lost hope. It's over. He makes himself known, and then they realize who he is. They're completely astounded. He disappears, and then they go back and tell the disciples. Verse 36, we pick up there. As they were saying these things, he himself stood among them. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. So they go back to the disciples where they're hiding because they too think it's over. And Jesus suddenly, they're telling them what's going on. And suddenly Jesus appears to them. And what's their response? They're terrified because they think it's over. They think this isn't possible. But they were startled. Verse 38, why are you troubled? He asked them. And why... Do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, now bear in mind, they are already aware of the empty tomb here, yet they are still unwilling to believe <laughs> that Jesus is alive. They're not quite convinced just yet. Why do doubts arise in your hearts, he says? Look at my hands and my feet. That is, it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and unbelieving because because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? 
So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Why does he do this? He's doing it to prove he is, in fact, 100% alive. Let there be no doubt. Then he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is... This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And so Jesus appears to them and explains to them, this is the way that it was supposed to be. This is always the way that it was supposed to be. Nothing has gone awry. God is still in control. It's not over. In fact, this is only the beginning for all of you. That's his message. Because of the resurrection, everything changed for them and for us. And there are some lessons that I think we need to learn. There are some truths that come out of the the fact, the reality of the resurrection that we should learn. The first of which is this. Because of the resurrection, there are at least three things that we should never do. The first is that we should never give up on any person or any situation for that matter, but but specifically any person. You know, there's a story, an old poem called The Widow in the By Street. John Mansfield uh, depicts a scene of agony. There's a a young man who's convicted of of crimes and sentenced to capital punishment. He's to be hanged. And his mother is there and, as you can imagine, is in agony over it, but they carry out the execution. And shortly after the execution, someone sees his mother crumpled up over off to the side, mumbling These words, broken things too broke to mend. That's a sad story. And the reality is there's a lot of people that that's their life story right now, or at least that's the way they feel. They think they're too broken. They think their life carries with it no hope. There's no possibility that anybody could fix me. There's no possibility that anyone could love me. There's no hope for my future. But the resurrection tells us, Jesus tells us, that we should never give up on anyone because he's not willing to give up on anyone. He offers forgiveness. He makes it available. He died so that we could be free. And if he's willing to love the unlovable, if he's willing to do that to save a sinner like me who among everyone deserves it at least, I mean, Paul would say the same thing, We all, none of us deserve salvation, so if we could look at anybody and say that we deserve it more than anybody else, then we have a false sense of what sin really is. It makes us unacceptable, but God says, I'm willing to cover your sin with the blood of my son Jesus, and he has done that. And Jesus says, if you will turn to me, you can be forgiven. So we should never give up on anyone. No person is beyond redemption. Jesus loves everyone, and he loves everyone in every way. He loves you more than you could ever imagine and in ways you could never 
fully comprehend. The closest thing in life we have to understanding that is, is when we have kids and the love we have for our children. That's the closest thing to unconditional love that we could experience. The love we have for our spouse. The closest thing that we could come to understanding what that is. But listen, we are imperfect, and that means even our love for our husband, our wife, our kids, as good as it is and as unconditional as it might be, it's still flawed, right? And so when Jesus says he loves you, it's not with the same flawed love that we love others because we're all a little bit selfish, right? There's, a, there's always, shouldn't be this way, but there's always just a little bit of, hey, what's in it for me, you know? I mean, we, we're all guilty of that at some point. Hopefully we get better at that as time goes on. Otherwise, your spouse may kill you, but, uh, but, but hopefully we get a little better at that. But it's still not perfect. But Jesus says, I love you, and I love you with a perfect love. And I'm not willing to give up on you. You know why he hasn't returned right now? Because there's still people that need to be saved. There's still people out there that need to know Christ. And he's going to give every every last person that's supposed to come to him, that he knows is going to come to him, he's going to give them the opportunity that they need. It's his mercy. It's his grace. He loves everyone in every way. John 3, 16, for God so loved a few people? Absolutely not. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that who, whoever believes in him, whoever, that's whoever, not a select few, but whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love is perfect and it's everlasting. Psalm 106, the psalmist says, Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Jesus loves everyone in every way and he also saves any time and any place. It doesn't matter where you are or who you are. If you cry out to Jesus for salvation, he will save you and set you free from sin. In the New Testament world, who was the least likely person to be saved? Well, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He called himself that. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a strict Pharisee. He had such a fanatical zeal for persecuting Christians. He said this about himself. He said, I have made havoc for the church of God. And that word havoc describes a wild boar that is indiscriminately rooting around in a vineyard, just destroying every plant, everything that it can. That's, that's the approach. That's the way Paul persecuted Christians. And he bragged about it. And he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was the worst of the worst in terms of being anti-Christian. And then suddenly, Jesus Christ got his attention on that road, brought him to his knees, and changed his life. If God can save Paul, he can save anybody. If he can do it while Paul's on his way to persecute and kill Christians and change his life, completely turn it around, yes, Jesus can save anyone, anytime, place, And he will, if you'll cry out to him. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been, 
If you'll turn to him, he'll take your life right where it is, and he'll turn it around and use it for his glory. God can save anyone, anytime, anyplace, because he loves everyone in every way. You know, a seminary professor used to remind his students, he used to say, young men, he said, never leave Jesus on the cross and never leave the prodigal son in the far-off country. Why did he say that? Well, because God's a finisher. <laughs> Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He's alive today, and the prodigal son came home, and his father accepted him. And it's a story for all of us. If you will turn to Jesus, he will accept you where you are. Not only that, the story of the prodigal son, every part's intentional, right? While the son was still a long way off, what did the father do? Full sprint to his son. He ran to meet him. If you will just turn to Jesus, he'll meet you where you are, and he'll save you. He'll set you free. You feel like you have no hope? Turn to him, and he'll give you hope. He'll give you assurance. He'll give you a future. He'll give you an inheritance, everything that he has. Jesus saves Anyone, anytime, any place, and he saves from the uttermost to the guttermost. He was crucified between two thieves. Now, one thief turned to him in repentance, the other mocked him. The one on the left, or the one that mocked him, he was lost so that no one would presume to be saved, right? The one who repented was saved to prove that anybody can be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus invites you into a relationship with him. No one has to despair. Because of the resurrection, we should never give up on any person, and we should never write off any experience as a total waste. You know, even the worst experiences in life can teach us something. Even, even the most trying times can teach us a lesson. Theodore Levitt of the Harvard Business School said this. He said, experience comes from what we have done. Wisdom comes from what we have done badly. You learn more from mistakes than you do from things you do right. That's just the way life is. If you're willing to listen, if you're willing to learn from those mistakes, if God can raise the dead, surely he can bring good out of anything bad that happens to us or any poor decisions we make. I mean, he's not the author of, of bad things, of evil, but, but he can take even the worst in our life and use it for good. He can use it for his glory. I want to share with you a philosophy from somewhat of an unlikely source. Years ago, during a Monday night football game, Don Meredith said this. He said, if you sail the seas long enough, you're eventually going to run into rough waters. That's simple but true, isn't it? If you live long enough, yeah, I can't promise you a lot of things. I don't know what your future holds, except I can promise you that eventually, if you haven't already, you're going to have some trials in your life. And Jesus promised, in this world you will have trials. And you're going to have trials in life. Storms are a part of life. They come to all of us. None of us are exempt. Again, John 16, 33, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But Jesus says, here's, here's the hope. Take heart, I've overcome this world. You're going to have trials, but we have victory over the trials. We have victory over sin and difficulties caused by sin. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Some way, shape, form, or fashion, you're, you're going to suffer for your faith if you trust in Jesus. However, as Peter said in 1 Peter 4.16, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, 
but praise God that you bear his name. You know, if we do suffer, which we will, I mean, at some point you're going to suffer for the sake of Christ in some way, or you're going to have a trial that, that's not caused by you. Maybe it is, but, but inevitably you're going to experience something that you didn't cause, and you're going to wonder why you were there, and, and you're, going to, you're going to question God, you're going to question His purpose for your life, and if you do, in fact, have to suffer or be ridiculed for the sake of gospel, the gospel, we need to remember what Peter said. We should praise God that we bear his name because, remember, on Friday, Jesus suffered incredibly so that we could be saved. And whenever we suffer, we're identifying with him. If we're suffering for the gospel, we're identifying with Christ. James advises us in James 1-2, consider it pure joy. It sounds crazy, but consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Throughout history, in the Bible, some of God's best People have endured constant pain and suffering. Some of God's best. You know, maybe there's a lot of reasons that I can't give you because I don't know all the reasons of why people suffer. And listen, in my life, some of the the most faithful, gracious, most kind believers I've ever known have suffered more than I could ever imagine. And I don't understand exactly why that happens. I can't tell you all the reasons why. I can tell you that God doesn't cause suffering, and maybe he allows that so that we'll long for heaven a little bit more. You know, or there, There's identification. Maybe the reason some of those sweet Christians that have suffered are as sweet as they are is because they've identified with Christ in a way that you and I haven't. I don't know. But God uses that. He can take even the worst of circumstances and use it for his glory. And here's the truth that we need to remember. God does not promise to get us out of trouble. He promises to get us through trouble. God doesn't promise to isolate us from life's trials. He does promise to insulate us through them. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you. He will protect you. And yes, life can get difficult, but God has overcome this world. Jesus Christ has given us victory, and it allows us, in the midst of trials and pain, if we look to Him, if we depend on Him, it allows us to keep an eye toward eternity, knowing that even if the worst happens, and and this life ends, the, 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 the most unthinkable thing happens, and our life is taken from us, it is only the beginning because we have a future in heaven. We have eternity to look forward to. It is that perspective and a strong walk, relationship with Jesus Christ that will get you through your suffering. He can use it. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but He can use it. Here's the foundation of our faith and hope in the midst of the storms of life. According to Paul in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. No, that means to have an absolute settled knowledge. We can know that God causes all things. We can have confidence because God works in our world today. You know, the deist believes that God created the world and that he's just left us to fend for ourselves, that he's not involved personally in the world. But we know the Bible teaches that God is very much involved in his creation, that he hasn't left us just to fend for ourselves. Some people have trouble believing that God is at work in our world because they can't see His hand working. They they can't see what He's doing. 
You know, at this very moment, the earth is spinning on its axis at approximately 1,000 miles an hour. If you were to go outside and look around, would you see things swirling around and around and around? Of course not. The earth is, while doing that, rotating around the sun at approximately 67,000 miles per hour. Do you feel dizzy right now? If you do, it's not because of that. I mean, there may be another reason, but that just goes to show things can be going on and you not be physically aware of it. Just because you don't necessarily see God working right now doesn't mean he's not working. It doesn't mean he's asleep at the wheel. He's fully involved, and he is still on his throne, and he is still going to accomplish his purpose. If you flip a few few books ahead to Revelation, the ending that he's predicted, that he's prophesied about, will in fact happen. It's going to happen. It's, It's just sometimes we have trouble seeing that because we get caught up in what's going on around us. It's sometimes difficult to understand that God's at work, but he is at work. It's possible for God to be at work without us being fully aware of it. In our lives, even. In the process of working, God works for good. You know, trouble is not the handiwork of God. You know, trouble, trials, uh, difficulties, you know, suffering, death doesn't originate from God. Don't make mistakes. Now, he can use it. And he does test us, but bad things don't come from God. The simplest answer as to why bad things exist is because Satan exists. And by man choosing to sin, we invited him into our world. And because of the presence of evil, everything, sickness, death, suffering, trials, even things that you don't bring on yourself, they exist because Satan, they originate from him, not from God. So make no mistake. Anything that comes from God is good, all right? I mean, he is, he is not the author of evil, but sometimes it's hard for us to understand that because we do see difficulty all around us, but he's working in our world for good. I mean, even his judgment is ultimately for the good, right? I mean, eventually he's going to wipe out sin forever so that We will live without it. Those of us who are in him will live without it in the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity. So God is working for good. And not only that, he is working for our good. Look at Romans 8.28 again. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what that verse does not say is just as important as what it does say. Think about this. God causes all things to work for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It does not say that God causes everything that happens. He doesn't. And nothing happens without his permission, but he doesn't cause bad things to happen. He doesn't cause all things to happen. He doesn't cause evil. It does not say that everything that happens is good. That's not what the verse says, because it isn't. Everything that happens is not good. There are bad things that happen in this world. It does not say that everything is going to work out good for everybody. That's not what it says. Does that mean if you're a Christian, everything's just going to be hunky-dory from the time you accept Christ until you leave this world? No, that's not what that verse says. What the verse says is that God works in and through all things for our ultimate well-being. 
And ultimately, what is God's goal for you and me? His goal for you and me is to become like His Son, Jesus. And He will use whatever it takes to mold us and to shape us into the image of His Son. And if it takes suffering to get our attention, yeah, He'll use that. Does it originate in Him? No, but He will absolutely use it if that's what it takes to mold us. Sometimes that's what it takes because sometimes we're a little stubborn, right? Sometimes we rebel against God and we stay in our rebellion even though He's convicting us. He starts softly at first, but then He gets stronger. The hand of God gets stronger. And if we continue to reject Him, if we continue as His followers to rebel against Him, He will do whatever it takes to get our attention. You know, my mother, in my younger years, I was not always... Not that I am now, but I was not always the model Christian, okay? In my younger years, I made some really bad decisions that led to some difficulties for myself. And my mother told me once, after God got my attention, he woke me up. I turned my life back to him. I repented, and God took me where I was, and he's brought me where I am today. But my mother told me that she prayed for me in a very specific way. And I, as a parent now... Understand how difficult it would be to pray this, but she said, Alan, I prayed, God, do whatever it takes to get his attention, just spare his life. I can't imagine praying that. But she was so desperate for me to experience God's plan for my life that she prayed that. Let me tell you something. God heard that prayer, and he answered that prayer. He used some very difficult circumstances to wake me up because I was just that stubborn. God will use it. Whatever it takes, He will not let you go. If you are His, you are His forever. And He will not let you run forever. He will get your attention. And He will take even the worst of circumstances. And He will mold you. And He will shape you. Because listen, His goal in this life for you is not for you to be comfortable. It's great when those times come. His goal for you in this life is to be like His Son and to perfect you each day more and more to when you see Him face to face, you are perfect, just as you were intended to be. No longer affected by sin. No longer hindered by insufficiencies, but perfect in His presence. And God will do it if we'll let Him. God can use stones he can use bumps in life. There's a story about a little girl that wanted to play with her brother. He used to climb up on a hill, and it was difficult to get up there. And she finally got old enough to climb up the hill, and her brother said, I'll take you. And so they went up to the hill, and she got to where the steepest part was, and she was scared. And she said to her brother, she said, I don't think I can do this. There's not a, a smooth place to step. And he said, but don't you see that's, that's how we get up there. It's You step on the rough place. You step on the stones. That's how you climb to get to the top. And that's where the enjoyment is. And that's the way life is. It's those rough places. It's those rocks. It's those hard places that God uses to mold us and to shape us. And you have to step. You have to keep moving forward. And you have to trust Him. But if you do, He will shape you. And He'll draw you to Himself. And He'll make you what He wants you to be. Because of the resurrection, we should never write off any experience as a total waste. And we also should never despair in the face of death. The promise of the resurrection is that we have victory over death because Jesus has attained victory for us. The moment we are, and here's a happy thought for the day, the moment we are born, we're old enough to die. There you go. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true, right? 
You know, that's the one statistic that's 100% for all human beings, right? And, and it's, it's not that I'm trying to scare you. It's not that I'm trying to manipulate you. It's just, it's a reality. We all know that day's coming, right? And if you spend your whole life knowing something's coming and you don't prepare for it, what does that say about you? I mean, we need to be prepared. But the, the, the great thing is we can be prepared for it. Because of the resurrection, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to be afraid of that, that reality for all of us. Jesus has given victory. The reality of death, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, after this comes judgment. But while death is certain, we don't have to be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.10, And now he has made all of his, this plain to us by the appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. You know, a lot of people spend their lives stuck in fear. They don't know what to do. You know, they can't find a deeper relationship with Christ because they're afraid. And they can't break through that fear. You know, a lot of people, because of doubts, they can't break through. Because of trials, they can't break through and they they don't understand why they're not experiencing the fullness of life that God promises. They don't understand why they're experiencing uh, joy and peace, and and they just can't break through to experience all that God has for them. And I want to illustrate that for you this morning. All I have here is a vase, a couple of quarters, a turkey baster, (laughs) and a cup of water. And here's how I want you to think of this, okay? This is labeled pretty accurately, if you can see it. This is Jesus, all right? not trying to contain Jesus, but you get the idea. Just for a moment, just imagine. And this is a relationship with Christ. This on the top is just toilet paper. It's nothing, nothing big, but it's, it's covering it. And from a distance, you know, you look at it, you know that something's on top. You don't know what it is. You know something's on top of it. So there's something keeping whatever from getting out to getting in. And, and you know, we may think, that whatever we're dealing with is a barrier that's too big to overcome, whether it's doubt, whether it's fear, whether it's trials, tribulations, sickness, whatever it is. We may think it's just too big of a barrier, but the reality is it's really no stronger than this toilet paper because there is a key to breaking through our fear, our trials, whatever's keeping us from experiencing the relationship that Jesus wants us to have with him There is a key to breaking through that. Now, these quarters represent you and me, our life. So we're trying to break through, but we can't. There's something standing in the way. So what do we need to do? Well, this water represents faith. You know, the reality is, it really doesn't take a lot of faith to break through. Matter of fact, faith as small as a mustard seed. You can break through. Just a little bit. Yeah, we try to make it complicated. But all we have to do, and I know it sounds like I'm simplifying here. Living the Christian life is is challenging, okay? But entering a relationship with Christ, breaking through fear, drawing close to Him in the midst of trials, The key is just having faith. God, I don't understand why you're leading me through this 
difficulty. I don't understand why all of this is happening, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to stay in your word. I'm going to talk to you. I'm not going to shut you out. I'm turning to you. I'm trusting you. And if you'll do that, hear me, your problems will not, will not, not all vanish, but God will fill you with his presence. He'll fill you with his spirit. He'll give you the strength that you need from day to day. He'll give you what you need to endure. Jesus broke through fear when he came out of the tomb. He has transformed death from a conclusion to a beginning. His resurrection changed everything from an ending to an introduction. Death no longer has power. He changed death from a period to a comma. More to come. To be continued. Death no longer has power over those who are in Christ. Because He died, you and I can experience an abundant life in this life and an eternal life in heaven with Him after this life is over. That's what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection. Paul was an old man, growing older all the time. He stood before an open grave, looking down the throat of death. Then in one of the most dramatic moments, not only in the New Testament, but in all of literature, he said this. He said, oh death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? There was none. Why? Because Jesus took the sting out of death. He took the victory out of death. And then he goes on in verse 57 to say, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. David Redding said, Death did something terrible to Christ. Everybody knows that. But what everybody does not know is that Jesus Christ did something wonderful to death. He achieved victory over death. And he changed it from an ending to a beginning for all of those who would trust in him for salvation. He, he took death... And he didn't just endure it. The punchline of the New Testament is not a tragic cry of help. It's a shout of hallelujah. Victory over death. Only available through Jesus Christ. But he offers it to anybody who would receive his salvation. So what are you dealing with today? What did you carry? What did you drag other than yourself? What did you drag in here with you this morning? What's the burden that you're carrying on your back? Is it, is it sickness? Is it that you're facing death? Is it a trial? Is it a family member that's gone astray? Is it something else that nobody else knows about? What's the burden that you're carrying with you? What is it that's, that, that's keeping you from breaking through to experiencing the life that God wants you to experience? Or, or maybe it's experiencing eternal life. Maybe you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior Whatever it is, whatever you carried in here today, no matter how bad it seems, remember the message of Easter. No matter how hopeless it seems, remember the message of Easter. It's not over until God says it's over. And He says, it's not over. You have victory in Jesus Christ. If you'll receive it, He won't force it on you. That's not how God operates. He won't force it on you, but he offers it freely if you'll take it. If you'll receive it, he'll give it to you. 
It's the way of God to bring life out of death. That's just the way God is. Victory out of defeat. Success out of failure. Triumph out of tragedy. The reality is God has a way of turning Good Fridays into Easter Sunday mornings. And he can for you if you'll receive it. If you'll receive him. That's why we should never give up on anyone. We should never despair in any situation. We should never consider that experience a total waste. And we should certainly not despair in the face of death. But again, I ask, what have you carried in here with you today? What is it that's keeping you from trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't already? What, what is it that's keeping you from going deeper in your relationship with Him, from breaking through into the intimate relationship that Jesus wants you to experience? Yes, life is hard, and it can be difficult, but what God says is, I can give you meaning and purpose and you can know me in such a way that even the trials seem worth it. You can know me in such a way that you'll never lose hope. You can know me in such a way that you can have contentment and peace regardless of the disparity of your situation. So let me ask, are you willing to accept? We're going to have an invitation here in just a few moments. I'm going to ask Brother Caleb to come on down. He's going to be standing down here. I'm going to join him in just a few minutes. And here's what I want you to realize, if you're here today, if you're at home watching, you've got an opportunity, regardless of what you're going through, you've got an opportunity to accept Christ if you haven't already. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And you can say yes to him today. And we'll be down here to counsel you and to share with you what you need to do next. If you are a child of God and you are struggling with something and you just want prayer, you just want somebody to pray for you to help you break through whatever it is you're facing, you can come and we will pray with you and we will share with you whatever we need to share, whatever we can. Even if we don't have the answers, we'll pray for you, pray over you, that God will give you strength to break through. If you're, God's leading you to join Wall Highway, you can come. And we'll share with you how to do that. If he's leading you to make some other decision, or again, if you just want somebody to pray with you, and maybe you're not struggling with something big, you've got the opportunity. You can come and, and you can treat this front as an altar. You can certainly, if you just want to come pray by yourself, do that. Come. We invite you to come. However the Lord leads you to respond, you do that. Father, we thank you for the, the truth of your word and the promise that exists that we have that you have given us victory victory over sin and death death is not a conclusion for those who are in you it is a beginning you've given us assurance that regardless of what life brings you will carry us through you will insulate us and then you will bring us into eternity once it's all over Father, I pray for those that are here, those that are watching, for anyone who does not know you as Lord and Savior. If you are speaking to their hearts, if you are convicting them of sin, if you are drawing them to yourself, God, I pray that they would respond, that they would turn to you in repentance, turning away from their sin, and cry out to you as we all have who know you, admitting that they have sinned and, and asking for forgiveness and receiving the salvation that you offered through your death and your resurrection. 
Lord, I pray for those that are struggling right now with whatever it is, whether it be sickness, trials, death of a loved one, facing death themselves, something else in life that's just a burden that seems too heavy to carry. Lord, I pray that they would turn to you right now and receive your mercy and your grace that is sufficient for all circumstances. That they would allow you to be Lord, truly Lord of their lives, to minister to them. We know that life can be difficult, that trials can be many and varied, but we can have joy in you. We can have purpose in you. We can have relationship with you and assurance of eternity. Lord, I pray that we would just be sensitive to your spirit right now as you move through this place, as you speak to our hearts, as you call us to respond. May we respond in a way that pleases you, that honors your name. For it is in Jesus' name that we do pray.